0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild Anime, Manga, and Comics Podcast. My name is Christian, your host for this evening, or whenever you're listening to this. Uh, thanks for coming back. Okay, so I've had a couple of issues with the internet, so maybe this recording will go well. That's what you're here for, right? To see the train wreck. To listen to the train wreck. <laughs> Which uh, has been an apt description, uh, very, very apropos, of my poor family's life this past week. Uh, just we've been dealing with a lot of health issues, and uh, graciously uh, everyone is doing better now. But I mean, we were definitely under attack, and yeah, uh, thank God for the the doctors and nurses and everyone involved with that, watching over them, helping them out as need be. So just real real shout out to them for doing their jobs well and effectively, and uh, I'm glad everyone's okay now. So, moving on to the start of the podcast, uh, there is an, uh, one little bit of news. I will not be covering any comics this week. Uh, this is mostly because, from what I understand, there is a massive paper comics industry. Um, I didn't look too hard into this, so there were a couple of series that would have been released this week, as I understand, but they got pushed back. So, uh, n- anything that was released this week was nothing on my list, so... We're just going to be covering the manga for this part. And some we're finally adding them, like I promised, forever ago. And even if the comics were out, we would have split up the episodes. So, moving on to what I've been watching this week. I have been very busy with that. Just kind of trying to distract myself from certain things going on. Uh, I saw Dune. And let me tell you, that was a ride. Uh, Definitely needed... That was two and a half hours of film to get me away from the world. It's been so long since I've read Dune. Uh, I I first read it when I was 18. All those years ago, eons ago, when the world was young. And for the first part of this series, now that they confirmed part two is coming out later on, I I truly enjoyed it. So well done. Every it was engaging. It was a spectacle. I'd highly recommend you guys go out and watch it. Let's see what else. I also watched Sputnik, which was a Russian horror film uh, dealing with uh, a cosmonaut coming back from space with a parasite attached to him. That the question is, is it parasitic or? Synthetic? And it was really good. I would recommend that one as well. Just be a little careful out there for those of you a little squeamish around body horror, kind of like I am for the most part, because it's not terribly graphic, but there are some things that may upset you if that's not really your thing. Let's see. Also, I finished, there it a Haunting of Blind Manor, the Netflix series. It was, eh, okay. I mean, I don't really have too much to say about it. Like, it's one of those, I'm glad I watched it, but at the end of the day, I never have to watch it again, and that's a good thing. <laughs> So I don't know if that kills your interest for it or not. So a stellar review on my part. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Um, I finished The Ultraman, uh, which for those of you who don't remember was the anime series in uh, at least 79 that came out based on the Ultraman series. That was a ton of fun. Uh, definitely touched on a bunch of things there. Then the rest of the uh, tokusatsu uh, parts of it, uh, we're not shown, and it's definitely in its own continuity, so that helps it with that. So I, I, I'd i give it a seven five out of ten overall. Said so I started Ultraman eighty. I'm now eighteen episodes into that, so it, it's been fun. It's kind of mixed up the the formula a bit in a good way, uh, way better than Leo when it for that was jarring. And Leo got a lot better later on, but it's just its kind of brutal. Poor Ultra 7, man. <laughs> For those of you in the know about that. And I believe that's about everything. I'll do something later on, but that's not important. What is important right now is starting our manga portion of this tonight. We, we will be starting in Black Clover, uh, page 311, title of which is Make it home alive. Our last, last chapter left us with Yuno and Xenon facing each other. Xenon uh, was struck and looks like he is falling to pieces. And he asks, what made us different? And Yuno says, don't ask me. I'm not there myself. I still haven't completed the vow I made with that guy, obviously. Being- and Xenon has his own flashback with his own whatever his fate, King of Asta was. You know, uh, super important for his bacterial story. He's a great character. Love on top 10, obviously. And we flash over to Asta and uh, Noct, uh, seeing the whole place is disintegrating, according to Asta. And Noct says, looks like uh, Yuno's defeated Xenon. And that means we've taken out the whole dark triad. And yet, why is the advent of Klippoth still advancing? We see, I think these are Spade Kingdom people that were part of the rebel group, or maybe they're. This is Clever. I can't remember. Uh, point is, they're facing a demon army. And Julius is actually, uh, when we go over to the Clever Kingdom, looks like he is feeling upset about something. He says something isn't right. It feels as if something enormous is about to emerge. So it's almost like he's sensing Cliffoth coming into the regular world. Now here we have another great part of this chapter, uh, where Dorothy has been defeated off screen by Morris. <laughs> totally would have been a filler episode of the anime, I guess. I don't know how they would have done it to explain somewhere dream magic losing to Morris. But you know, whatever. Let's just rule out a competent captain with this. Uh Morris has gained I can't remember if we've seen this one form before, but he's got this black butterfly effect, uh, two demon horns. It says. Uh, if the devil's power hadn't made my magic until the next gate opens, able to affect in, intangible concepts, so he's saying that because of this, he's able to defeat her with her dream magic, which was totally OP. And you know, the less said about that, the better. And we also see Lotus there. Lotus, for those of you, I had to say, Who is this dude? Uh, he was part of um, uh, uh, Mars. Uh, uh, the team with him forever ago. I oh, was at the first dungeon they were in when that showed up in the series. Uh, so he had come over there with Morris defecting from the Diamond Kingdom. And the two of them are going back and forth at each other. And Morris is going on a rant saying he no longer needs the Dark Triad because as long as I had the magic and lives of the cores, Yami and Vengeance, the gate of the underworld will open and uses modification magic, operation, creating this weird little golem homunculus with two heads. And uh, he's going to kill... Uh, I just said his name. I just said his name. Lotus. <laughs> he's going to kill him, and he's thinking about his family. Apparently this guy has a family. Uh, good for you, buddy. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm not really big on this Black Clover chapter. Until the end, this is where it picks up. And as he's about to kill Lord, he hears a noise. What's that noise? As the part of the kingdom he's in is uh, the building is destroyed as the Black Bulls, we see Vanessa, Gray, um, Ghosh, Henry, and Gordon saying, we're here for you. We're here to pick you up, Captain Yami. And that is the end of the chapter. Okay. Uh, like I said, Not exactly the most exciting Black Clover chapter in the world. Um, I I don't know if there's anything else I can really say about it that would be positive, so I'm just going to skip over to Blue Box, uh, Chapter 27, A Chance. When we last left... Last left? Oh, English. My native language, how could you screw me over? With my terrible tongue. We last left... Taiki and Chinatsu, she had fallen on top of him as he was sick, and she plays it off, sets all your cooling sheets peeling off, puts it back on his head, go back to sleep, <laughs> leaving poor Taiki like completely overwhelmed, saying, How am I supposed to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next morning, his mother uh, reads his temperature, and that's in Celsius uh, for my. You know, non-American, and what is it, Liberia and Myanmar? People, everyone else. So apparently, Britain and Canada both use, uh, not only use the metric system, and they're just ragging on us. But I can't prove that. Anyways, uh, she says sixty thirty-six point five degrees. You made a full. So Taiki leaves home. And he's just thinking he can't stop thinking about that night, which, bro, I feel you. 100% of that happened. I, I'd be a little upset, too. It's like, what was going on? What could I do? And he, his name is called. And we see two of his teammates there at the school. And they are cleaning the pool uh, because their teacher had asked them to do it. Uh, besides, the volleyball team was for a match. So they're just killing time. And they're not alone. Uh, Haru was there. And Chinatsu is there. And Taiki, fooling himself, says, It's not that I want to be close to Chinatsu's empire or anything. I have no such ulterior motives. I just want to help. Sure, buddy. I've never used that line before. So they go in the pool, and Haru's kind of ragging on him and says, You should know your smashes aren't your only weakness. It's like poor Taiki just can't, can't get anything. Right, and he said, Why is everyone looking at my goal sheet? Oh, he says, Because it's posted on the right on the wall. <laughs> but he, he goes criticisms like in a in a reasonable way. It's like in your match against that used guy in the prefectural qualifiers, your reactions were poor, you barely moved your feet. That first year will be even better by next year. Don't waste all your time being down in the dumps. So, I, I love the relationship they have with each other, it's good teammates building each other up and Taika says, "You know, you're right. I'm sorry." And Kai says, "Look, it's fine. It makes no difference to me if you lose in singles. But if you start getting discouraged, I'm only saying all of this as your doubles partner." He says, "Right, Chi-senpai?" And <laughs> just cuz he's such a troll, messing with and and she goes on, goes about her business and he he looks and he goes over to Taiki again says, are you making any progress with Chinatsu? And Taki, poor guy's so flustered that he can't say anything. So he says, look, if you don't want to talk about it, I won't ask. But Taki thinks on it says, uh, how, how do you know if you have a chance with someone? <laughs> right question to ask. Can't help you with that. And Haru says, it depends on a person. She has no problem talking with guys. She can get along with guys or girls. But if she's not into you, then I don't think she'd make physical contact. He says, same to you. So he's thinking to himself, how to, he's got to act natural and calm down. But he's looking at her and she's about to leave, but he stops her. And he tells her, thanks for yesterday. He says, thanks to you, my fever broke. And she blushes a little bit, says, right, yesterday. You're welcome. Well, I'll be seeing you. She says, huh, because he has grabbed her by the hand. And the last thing she says is, Tyke? So I've seen multiple uh, people speculate about what this means. Like, uh, I definitely don't think he's confessing right now. I think that's, even for this huge Rewa energy, a little too optimistic. Uh, I've seen some people speculate that, and I kind of go along with this too, is that he's noticed that she's showing signs of having the fever, catching it from him, and he's checking her hand. In her wrist, just you know, see if her if it's warmer than usual. So that's one I subscribe to. Oh, what was the other one? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, uh, oh, uh, I think it was going to talk to her about what he didn't talk to her beforehand that he was being a little coy about, and probably asking her about uh, how she and Hina get along or something like that. So that's your speculation for Blue Box. Lots of fun. Good chapter. Oh, way better than Black Clover this, e- this week. And we will move on to Dr. Stone. If my mouse will work. There we go. That is lovely. All right, Dr. Stone. Z equals 216. Hello, world. Not quite good morning, world, uh, from the first season. The OP. But, you know, I'll take it. So they successfully have launched their first a satellite into space. And Chrome is looking up at it and says, getting into space is a bad challenge. It's, excuse me, it's tricky even for Senku and Zeno, the world's two top rocket scientists because they haven't brought anyone else out of petrification for three years, mind you. All this trial and error, so many tests, just as many failures over years and years. And him we could continue going on, uh, trying to learn as best they can, how to make their own rocket, and we see... Oh, wait, no, they hadn't succeeded yet. That's right, it blew up at the end. This is the one that succeeds. We see the Senku-7. So six times it has failed, but the seventh time, lucky number seven, the satellite goes into space. And Kawaku says, the first successful launch, now we can search the moon for Y-Man, right? Senku says, not quite. The first one is a sim- simple yet elegant re- recon satellite, uh, Zeno says. We get our satellite acquired. And Senku starts with an explanation saying even space demands a patient, step-by-step approach. We have rocket, then satellite, then space telescope, then manned spacecraft one way. And it's that one way that keeps messing with poor Chrome. As he's thinking to himself. But as the rest of them are dealing with this, they are seeing for the first time, uh, most of the people in the stone world, satellite images of Japan. And Kawaku gets really excited. Obviously, I, I mean, I would, too, if this was the first time I was seeing this. It says, that's what we look like from up in space. That's our world. And Ryusui and Chelsea are both looking over it. Uh, they were part of the team. Uh, they are now part of a team uh, looking to, you know, see what the rest of the world is looking like and preparation, see if there's anyone else they need to go. And we get the map. And it shows a very different uh, North American, South America. Uh, Pointing towards the Yellowstone location, Uh, for those who don't know, there's a super volcano uh, underneath Yellowstone. That's one of the reasons for all the geysers there in the National Park. And it's one of those things, if it happens, it's not going to be good for us. Uh, America's probably not going to make it, if you believe the doomsayers. But in the time since everyone was petrified, it blew up. And it transformed the Gallatin Mountains into a lake. Now, the Gallatin Mountains, I had to look this up, are a part of the Rocky Mountain chain, if I remember correctly. So, learning you some stuff there. Thanks, Code Mint for that term. No, learning you some knowledge. That's what it was. Uh, the Panama Canal has been filled in and turned into marshes and grasslands. Uh, so Yukio is like very happy that we had to go past you there. Uh, it seems like the I believe it's the Atacama Desert in Argentina and Chile has moved up to the north in South America. Looks like it's up to at least Ecuador. And uh, again is realizing for the first time, it's not the 21st century, but the 58th. I mean, we knew that, but it's still Isle Way. And they move over satellite imagery to look at Asia and Africa. And we see the plains of China are wetlands and massive rivers. Uh, And there's some narration says after petrification, nuclear power plants caused massive damage to their environments. A radiation was rendered harmless after 10 to 100 years of extensive dilution. So the nuclear power plants with no one to maintain them exploded. A radiation went everywhere, but you know, it's only going to be around for so long. Eventually it'll dissipate and be a bit more harmless. And we go over to Africa it says the majority of Africa's deserts are now savannas and forests. That's super improvement to me. Uh, that just says not all changes are bad. And Australia has, looked the northern, northwest yeah, northwest part of its continent, Uh I mean, no, northeast. Uh, the coral reefs from the Great Barrier Reef have added enough land to the continent to be visible by satellite. And we see Ryusui sending off boats both the India and Spain. We see another uh, satellite launch and we see space telescope acquired. And they're now looking at the moon, well, Kuwaku is. And they're talking about how it's possible, but we get an earlier narration of how, excuse me, um, not narration. What's the word I'm looking for? Exposition. About how she uh, spotted the oil pits forever ago. And she finds the one spot on that moon where there's this little bit after grabbing the, the monitor away to Sinku and Zeno where there's this blurry part and it looks like that could possibly be where the Y-Man's base is there. Where, where the Y-Man's base is. And Sinku says, well, hello there, Y-Man. So a fun chapter from Dr. Stone. I don't have too much to say on it. Uh, outside of what I said in the midst of Explaining it. Uh, I think if there is anything. No, I think we're good. Moving on to the Elusive Samurai. This is chapter 38. tumult and Shinano. Shinano. 1335. Uh, last chapter we were introduced to three generals who didn't have names. Now they do have names. And you are Shige with his classic Nightmare face, saying, attention, my three most trusted generals. I have an astounding announcement to make. Ta-dum, ta <laughs> I should never say sound effects out loud. Chijomaru has been working at Suwa Grand Shrine since last year, but he's actually Lord Hojo's heir, Tokiuki Hojo. And the three generals of have a beat panel, and they say, oh. I say, what, that's all you have to say? Shouldn't you be more shocked? I was looking forward to that. And one of them. Uh, Nezu Yori now uh, says Yorishige-sama, our loyalty is you. But if you take up the cause of this child, then we will obey. We shall obey. Uh, Shigenobu Mochizuki, uh, the second general, uh, you know, speaks up saying sorry for making you point my sake. Saying obviously because Tokiyuki would outrank him. So there's that. And the last one is Yukiyasu Uno. Uno. Oh, Uno. and he looks at uh, Tokiyuki and says until you reveal your identity you remain to your apprentice Chojumaru and I would treat you as such in the presence of others alright and we get some narration their loyalty isn't to Tokiyuki but to Yoroshige, who was upset <laughs> because he wanted them to be you know super happy for them but we flash over to several of the generals working for uh, their opponents and they're killing civilians right and left. They've gotten even angrier for how they've been brutalized over the, this time by uh, Tokiyuki in his Chojumaru form. His form, like that's a, that's a Super Saiyan form, <laughs> in his guise as Chojumaru. And we get some narration no, uh, March 1335. The flames of tumult arise in northern Shinano. With the decree to subjugate any Hojo sympathizers throughout the land, Emperor Godaigo launched a concerted attack. To the far north, Tokoiwa Muni... I should have practiced that one. Yeah, yeah good luck with that one. Uh, uh, nope, skipping names. This would be the last and largest preliminary skirmish before Tokiyuki's uprising in four months' time. I believe that's actually part of the history which the author, uh, uh, the mangaka, is kind of sort of following. So we're moving on, and Yoroshike says, the mission of the elusive warriors this time is to function as Denrei. Messengers who race from battlefield to battlefield, conveying reports and orders. There are multiple battlefields spread across a large area. In order to share accurate information among them, I need a messenger no one can intercept. And (laughs) Tokiyuki, holding a hand to his face and blushing, says, I have to avoid capture? That sounds hard. Which, you know, that's kind of this kid's kink. And the three generals have been uh, put in charge of these areas. And their first target is to go to Fukashi Fort, which is in Fuchu Shinano. And (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten about this one. Uh, One of the people there is like, "Uh, you know, we've heard about you guys. Toki said, oh, you've heard about me? Uh, People are talking about me? Uh, yeah, they say, they say you excel at escaping the shrine, and you're some kind of weirdo who darts around battlefields as naked as a jaybird. Tokiku says, that's exaggerated. <laughs> Akimba says, yeah, but not by much. Anyhow, anyway, how goes the battle? Yoroshige-sama said you should retreat if necessary. Uh, that's, just, that's the crazy thing. Uno-sama's reinforcements are few in number but ferocious. They'll never let Ogasawara's army near this fort. Uh... <clears throat> uh Sorry, I completely lost my place there. So they're going over, talking about how Uno has always been dignified and composed, and it's uh, I think it's uh, Shizuku. Shizuku, is that her name? I'm so terrible with names. Yeah, Shizuku, the the Miko of the elusive uh, elusive warriors. Says the shrine maidens are head over heels for him. He is kind and considerate to all. But the other warriors hinted at something more. They said, you still don't know the half of it. And he shows up and says, chujimaro do Inform my lord that this fort shall not fall as long as Uno Yukiyasu is here. And they says, yeah, wow, he's so cool. We hear that they breached the north gate, so they're going to go attack that. <laughs> and this is so... Uh, this is... I forget, what is the magica's name? Uh... Uh, you say Matsui. Th- this is so him. This line. Uh, this these groups of lines. Uh, as he's about to leave, Uno looks so. can says, "Choudomaru, do have you ever known a woman?" <laughs> I think he's ten now. Uh, again, uh, Tokiukin all gets, "Huh?" Say, "Of course not. We're only ten, but someday we'll grow up like you." And but Uno interrupts and says, "Me neither. I have not known a woman either." And he gets a blank stares from all of them. I am defenseless to their charms. When they speak to me, my blood rises in turmoil. Even in the company of the shrine maidens, my heart pounds and my body burns. It's like, why is he telling us this? I use that heat in the service of Suwa Myojin. My blood boils for women, but I pour it into bellicosity back my muscle. I burn and pour and pour and perfect. Thus have I honed myself for decades. When a warrior of Kamakura remains pure until age 30, he becomes a Lord of Carnage. And we get an awesome panel here of him just wrecking a couple of guys and the elusive warriors are all reacting like, Oh man, he's so cool. And that is the end of the chapter. <laughs> so basically, uh, Uno is, uh, that, that meme if, uh, if you remain a virgin until you're 30, you become a wizard. So <laughs> he's become like just really great at battle. Wow. Uh, I didn't see that coming, but I, I should know better dealing with him. the so a fun chapter of Elusive Samurai. Well, moving on, uh, this dropped today, actually, I believe, uh, to Fire Force, chapter 290, A Piercing Hope. Now, we left Shenra last time getting cockyoined, and Homea is talking over him, and like, yeah, you, you ain't nothing. And Sho tells her to shut up. And before he can do anything, though, Shinra walks back up, and the hole is being sealed by this little fiery snake. And he says, I'm fine, actually. And Homey says, It seems someone from Earth is influ- influencing this place through an Adola link. Shinra says, This snake of flames is. And he looks at the snake. And we flash over to Earth, where Captain Captain um, uh, Wong, H U A N G. Who was uh, he previously met when he was healing uh, about well over a hundred chapters ago? I can't remember exactly when, but they're part of uh Fire Force Company Six, which is the medical staff. Uh, if I remember correctly, only members of the church can be part of that, but she's not alone, and she's there with her assistant, and for the first time in a while, Hibana it's been a long time since we've seen her and as they're Trying to figure out what's going on. And she starts to get burnt up to a crisp. Like, this is the last part of her power she used to help Shinra out. And she withers away. And as she does so, Hibana pleads, Shinra, please come back with Iris. And Shinra somehow knows what's going on here. Maybe because of the connection with the healing. I can't can't remember what that is. Like, uh, I had had a hard time understanding this when I first read it. Because I had forgotten all about... Uh, what Captain Huang was capable of. And if I remember correctly, this is something possible. I wasn't expecting it to happen. And I saw a lot of people upset that this is the way it happened. So I don't really know where I stand on that yet. I have enough time to process it. But Shinra says, Captain Huang, Captain Ibana, and Lieutenant Haig. I can hear them. I can tell what's happening on Earth. It was only thanks then that I got this far. And she says, Brother, she says, don't worry, I won't be swallowed up by rage anymore. I'm not a devil, I'm a hero. I fight to pre- protect the lives and assets of the citizens. He stares down Haumea, and he att- attempts to attack her once more, this time only managing to make her hair move, which was way different than last time when nothing happened. And Haumea says, your efforts are futile. Fate itself has concluded that you cannot touch me. It's set in stone, much like the despair of this world. Oh, I don't think so. I just moved your hair, so I can clearly... I, I can clearly influence you in some way, which means the future isn't decided yet. And they face off against each other once more, and Home says the Evangelist doesn't fear it; accepts everything. Shindler says it's not true. It is. Take a look at Earth. The last flame of despair is about to be lit. What? What are you talking about? And we move over to Earth once more, and we see Company Eight trying to get civilians to safety. Uh, we see Maki and Captain Obi. Maki says, Captain, we're nearly done with the evacuation in this area. I see. Great work. Now we just have to trust in Shinra and wait. And he's helping this little old lady across. And her vision's poor. Uh, she says, even though my vision is, is working poorly, I can tell you're brimming with light. And Captain Obi says, it's to help everyone not lose sight of hope. And I love Captain Obi. He's just a real gem in this series of this totally normal guy who has no powers of his own, but like through sheer charisma and strength training, just can fight with the best of them. And This was really nice to get some spotlight on him before what happens, but I'm not convinced he's out of the fight just yet. Uh, we see uh, Lichten Vulcan talking about uh, the shelters and what they can do about that. And in this moment, <clears throat> Lick sees Captain Obi there, but that's weird to him because he should be guiding the evacuation. We go back over to Maki and Captain Obi. She says, Captain, I finished the evacuation on my, work, uh, on my side. He says, good work. Now there's only one job left. And we see two Captain Obis, one with a knife, as he slits the real Captain Obi's throat. And he falls down to the ground. It seems like the blood is poured out. And we go back over to Haumea and Shinra and show. And Haumea says, and so the light is lost. Which freaks out Shinra. And he's got his devil face on. Hmm. I, I still don't know how I feel about this chapter. Like I said, I really love Captain Obi. I, I love what he's brought to the series. He's a, a voice of reason. Um, just being the powerless guy in a world full of mages is is a very cool idea I'm not convinced he's out yet and I think it's because of his physical training I know that cut looked a little deep maybe to to my eyes it wasn't as deep as it could be to take him out completely and kill him so I'm not convinced he's out I think this was just another means to try and get Shinra to fall which I'm highly guessing is what's going to happen next if he doesn't find a way to contain himself, if there's not a way for them to reach him. So my guess is Obi gets back up, faces against his doppelganger, and they fight, which stops Shinra from falling fully. But we'll see how that goes. Oh, yes, there's no Jujutsu Kaisen this week because it was on break. Uh, Same thing with Mashal. But we are going to move on to our next series as it's almost done. I think it has one more chapter after this. Because <laughs> it and Nehru are both being axed. That's something I forgot to bring up in the news. It is confirmed uh, that Red Hood is getting axed. Like, Who was surprised by that? And Nehru is getting axed. So I definitely... I made that promise forever ago about uh, covering this in the podcast if it survived the ax so I don't have to... Make good on that promise. Thank God. But Red Hood. Number 17 Holograms. What a chapter. I love this dumb series so much. I'm so glad I decided to cover this. I never would have gotten as much enjoyment out of this. It has gone full, big Joe bonkers. <laughs> For those of know that's bonkers, actual first name is Big Joe. I thought it was Big Joe for the longest time. I, I think I'm just going to use that in casual conversations, Like, oh man, this, this whole thing's gone Big Joe bonkers. <laughs> if I'm the only one who finds that funny, I'm okay. I, I would be the only one laughing. It'll be a joke made for me. And I'm absolutely fine with that. Number 17, holograms. Uh, we continue. Uh, Cinderella talking says the mayor wants to destroy not just a book, but the whole world along with it. If the world ends, I'll be lost to nothingness. That's the exact opposite of what the red list wants. I swallow my pride to ask this, but please stop him. You guys can do it. You want to have access, right? Access rights to where the book is kept. The red list doesn't even know where it is. If you want to kill me, fine, do it. I've done enough that I deserve it. But if that's enough to satisfy you, Please just go and stop him as fast and Devonair interrupts and says, lift your head. And she hugs Cinderella. <laughs> and poor, poor, uh, dumb Grim right now says, <laughs> why? <laughs> and Cinderella breaks off the embrace. It's like, why are you doing this? What the heck was that for? And Devonair says, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm not letting go of my grudge either. So I did something I knew you'd absolutely hate. Death is the easy way out. You don't get that. But you do get your temporary ceasefire, Ashen Witch Cinderella. We're going to HQ. Help us. No. Do it. Die. <laughs> and we see uh, Tilty and our hero, Big Joe Bonkers, uh, greatest character in the series, discussing what they should do. They hear that Velu is in trouble. So they say, well, you know what? We'll just team up for his sake, because he helped us all out. And move over to Velu talking to the Red Hood. He says, how can you do such a thing? And Red Hood says, for the sake of the world. If, what, if you say whatever is written in the book comes true, then why don't you just write, and so humanity eradicates werewolves, that solve everything. Oh, well, we tried that, of course, multiple times. But we failed every single time, says a guy whose name I've forgotten. Says so seven attempts were made, but each one not just, in a, uh, in a, not just in failure, but in the eradication of the human race. Every human can t- carries the potential to become a wolf in their, werewolf in their genes. That means werewolves effectively have all of humanity as their reserves or two sides of the same coin. So effectively, like uh, to people who still watch The Walking Dead. I stopped in season six, but it's like humanity in The Walking Dead series, like you're already infected with the virus. It's all a matter of are you killed before? You no, know, if you're killed in there, are you killed by, you know, losing your head? Uh, Because if you don't, you're just going to come back as a zombie. So similar premise here is like everyone's already infected because werewolves are so intrinsically and tied uh, to humanity. So it's eliminating werewolves means eliminating humanity. Humanity thriving means werewolves thriving. As long as humanity exists, werewolves won't disappear. That's the way the story has been set. Each time we fail, a new humanity is deployed and they begin a new battle against monsters. A new humanity gets deployed? You make it sound like there's some kind of God involved. Heck, who'd create a world like... And he's interrupted. Exactly. The readers. They exist far, far be- above us. Or perhaps far below us. Or far to the sides. Who'd... <laughs> it's just so you're starting, didn't go Big Joe Bonkers. It's going Big Joe Bonkers now. The readers watch our world from the outside, like watching fish hit a fishbowl. <laughs> we go over to Cinderella, Grimm, and Debonair, trying to break in to uh, where where the book is being held. And Debonair and Cinderella uh, tag team an attack called Comet Laser to uh, get inside. And we go back to the Red Hood saying, The readers. That's the name we give to the ones who created the framework of this world and filled in the book's earliest pages. They're superior beings, they're observers, they're gods, really. That's perhaps the quickest way—perhaps the quickest way to describe things. This world is a stage that they created. We simply play out our roles upon that stage. Our battles against monsters monster are to them mere entertainment, and we see uh, a puppet Graham fighting some weird little lizard monster thing, maybe a dragon. Who knows? And poor fellow doesn't understand. Richard says, hmm, let me explain things in simpler terms. Let's see. Did your Hamlet have festivals honoring the gods? Ritual dances or plays or ceremonial prayers that you offered up to them? Uh, We had songs dedicated to the gods for the summer solstice and funerals and stuff. That's it. That's effectively what we're doing here. It's a ritual performed to appease higher beings. The guild is the priesthood that oversees it. Now, what do you think happens if the ritual performed for the gods isn't good enough? <laughs> I just realized a connection between this and Cabin in the Woods. It's quite quite uh, apropos for this situation. Sorry. That's just how my brain's working right now at, uh, after midnight. Now, the purpose of the book is to entertain the readers. It isn't fun if the story is resolved too easily. Displease the gods and they will render judgment on us. In other words, the world will end. A story that doesn't entertain is abandoned. Once abandoned, our, our world will disappear. I'm sorry, I'm breaking down because this is so meta and petty, and I love every instance of this. Like, this series is going down in a wall of flames, and I am here for it. I'm going to terminate or walk through this series as the fire goes around me just to enjoy every last second. The guild works to avert that fate, creating main characters, supporting characters, and scenarios where people are saved from disaster. They use monsters to create tragedy. Tragedies bring humanity together and birth heroes. By repeating that over and over, we appease the gods, which, while slowly, subtly, reducing the number of monsters and somehow holding our world together. Our eighth scenario was to say werewolves came from the lycanthrope virus. And humanity could suppress that virus with a special medicine. It's roundabout, but I thought it had potential. You, Ludwig, you want to destroy it all, the werewolves in the world. Our scenario doesn't affect this boy. In fact, he actively unravels the parts that that involved him. You mean to use that power to destroy the book and render the entire world unrecoverable, correct? And Geppetto says, The moment we took up the book is the moment we failed. What point is there to a world whose sole purpose is to create tragedies that live up to the expectations of merciless gods? Let's just end it. Not a happy ending, not a tragic ending, just an end to everything. As the effects of Cinderella and Debonair's blast is felt, and uh, they're noticing that uh, there's reports from outside saying that uh, Debonair is attacking them, and they're hearing that not, not only that, but Cinderella and Grim are there with them. And Lou Geppetta says they caught on. You stay here, just in case I'll make the walls a little thicker. And somehow, I don't really know what his powers are. (laughs) Vaguely defined like everything else. He traps Velu Red Hood and what's-his-name inside. And he goes out to attack uh, Grim, Debonair, and uh, Cinderella, saying, Do not interrupt, you mere extras. (laughs) and that's the end of the chapter how can you not love this series (laughs) who can read this and not say like this is a work of art (laughs) if I ever get in a situation like this and I'm I'm handed the reins and I say look there's just not enough people reading like uh, we're going to have to cancel the series this is exactly how I want to go balls to the wall explosions everywhere (laughs) go extremely meta this is perfection I, I And seriously, though, for the, the, the manga's first time writing on his own, he used to be an assistant to Horikoshi, if I remember correctly. This is not bad. It could have been a lot better at the start, mind you. I've already gone over, I think it went way too long, uh, with uh, the werewolf chapters. But for his first effort, I ain't mad. I definitely want to see what he has in store. Later on, for the next series, he tries to send a jump because I believe you're allowed at least two or three more times to try. But yeah, that was the wild ride. That was Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Ah, oh, I need to stop. I need to calm down. And going to Maguchan is not a good way to do that. So <laughs> there was no kaiju number eight. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I can do this. All right, chapter 65 of Magu-chan, God of Destruction, The Mysterious Successor. Now, uh, we get this uh, young girl who is infiltrating the school, (laughs) telling herself that she is completely normal. Says, first I should do a sweep of the area and gather intel. And Ruru sees her, and and part of the running gag of this chapter is just how cute she thinks she looks. Like Like, oh, look at that cute little girl. Kind of way. So, oh, is she a transfer student? It's not our school uniform. She must be a first year. And at perfect timing, we just started recruiting new members to the occult club. I wonder if a cutie like her would join. <laughs> and they get too close together, freak each other out. And she tries to uh, invite her to the occult club. And <clears throat> uh, brings her along. And uh, the girl whose name we don't know yet. We It will be revealed later on. Ask what kind of activities does the occult research club do? <laughs> and Ruru's mind, she imagines all the little cute little eldritch abominations, and it just as a petting zoo. It says, "Well, uh, we play with weird creatures and observe them. <laughs> it's a really chill club, and we don't take ourselves too seriously." Oh, I haven't introduced myself. I'm Ruru Miyanagi. You can call me Ruru. What's your name? She turns around, and the girl's no longer there. And we move on to see Magu facing off uh, in a game with Izuma. This is you frail holy knight. I have plunged on the world in darkness, except your defeat. And uh, I can't remember if this is Go or Shogi. I, I played Go forever ago, but I don't remember the board setup or the rules. I think the the, uh, the goal is to uh, surround your opponent's pieces that it kind of looks like what Magu has done here, because there's only uh, Izumo's one white piece compared to all of Magu's black pieces. So it's either that or Shogi. I think this might actually be go. Uh, I'm definitely wrong. Maybe it's the third game I haven't brought up. But Izumo says, I cannot lose. No matter I had a hopeless situation, I will fight to the very end. I will not give up when I still have a chance. Give up and you don't stand a chance in hell. And he then loses. And were returns. And they all comment about how the club has gotten a lot better. You know, it was nice to have everyone join. And we brings up, look, I just ran into a younger girl who might be interested in joining the club. She really stood out and was super cute. She felt familiar somehow. Oh, I know. She reminded me of Izuma. And teleporting from above, like using this little odd little watery effect, kind of like the, that one demon in uh, the first season of Demon Slayer that attacked in, like, these little watery pools. So you figured it out, I see. And the girl appears, goes down to the top of the desk that they were playing the game on, and he says, would you mind getting off the desk? Immediately she sits down. Oh, she's obedient. She says, brother, I've been watching you for a while now. I heard that in the course of your duties, you'd infiltrated an occult research organization, but instead you're neglecting the God of Destruction and goofing around. And Ruby says, hey, everyone, this is a cute girl I told you about earlier. Turns out she's even his little sister. <laughs> uh, cute? How did you change out of that outfit so fast? Uh, I-, I used a magical items transformation spell. Amazing. Are you a sorceress? Uh, please, I'm not that amazing. Don't distract me. And she gets so angry, her little uh, twin tails just rise into the air, and she bursts up. She says, I came to see my brother. I'm in the middle of an undercover mission, upperclassman. And as per usual, no one here is subtle. Uh, what is your name? Eweka? Uh Tries to give her some pudding, and she gets distracted because of how delicious it is. And once more, raises her hands in the air, all angry. And <clears> Oenerys <throat> uh, is asked, are all holy knights this stupid? She says, she's just excited for her first mission. And of course, Oenerys being Oenerys, brings out her video camcorder. Says, I better record this. And uh Izuma's sister says, I thought you were protecting the world from Magmanuik. I'm reporting this to HQ. You're not being tricked by his disciple, Ruu Miyonagi, are you? And Izuma says, Sarah. Sarah. S-E-I-R-A. I owe this girl my life. Watch what you say. And I am fulfilling my duties by monitoring them. Look down. <laughs> and Magichan brings his best friend's book and says, Inscribe your name in the back in the book of Blood Oaths, and accept me as your ruler. Sarah says, no, I don't want to be ruled over. I get the feeling I'm in over my head. I'll retreat for now. And Nabataki and the other uh, creatures try to have her play a game. <laughs> and she freaks out. Says, eat monsters. <laughs> and the hermit crab saying, hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> she freaks out. hermit crabs. <laughs> she says, I'm surrounded, help. And she uh, runs away, jumps up onto the table, uh, moving the board. I wait, no, God dang it. Uh, are you telling me this is out of order again? What are you doing, Manga Plus? So moving on, anyways, I figured out what was wrong. Uh, she brings out her creature called Ninitzi, Uh using uh, something called Gate, And they realize that she's there with a rankless being. And she says, Big Brother, open your eyes. Go back to being, my, to being my tough, cool Big Brother. And she disappears once more. So it seems like the ability she used before to teleport there, this water was because of Nanitsi. And Ruru says, oh, so she's not joining the occult club? <laughs> and Nismo goes to says, hey, what's going on? Why haven't my reports been getting the HQ? And Nira's kind of like, right, puts her fingers to her chin. Says, so far we've told them that everything's been normal, but it seems they don't believe me. I don't believe that for a second. I think she's been tailoring her reports to be like the most magnificent magnificent thing in the world just to like overplay the drama for everything because that's just who she is and we go over to Ninitzi, the astral rankless being and he, uh, I assume this is a he could be a her, who knows we'll find out later on uh, was the place where we came out of the gate in an okay location and Sarah says no, no it wasn't okay to Ninitzi I stand like out like a sore thumb in these clothes, if only you hadn't undone your transformation the Holy Knight Sarah's undercover mission failed. And that's the end of the chapter. Wow. Introduced to a, a, a fun new character. Uh, it's, it's great to see uh, just the way everyone plays off of each other in this series. It's like how they've just been conditioned to accept the idea that these things exist. And uh, Ruru just has that moment of, hmm. Oh, yeah, that's kind of literally what we do all day. <laughs> just have this cute little petting zoo. So, fun new character, fun chapter. Uh, let's move on to our next series My Hero Academia. Last week being on break, the United States of America, USA. So, she was unable to fight Shigaraki, and he says, Ah, so I finally figured out how New Order works. And we are going to get some text on all this, and I am not going to read it all because it is way too much information. Uh, so, basically, like the government of America, like, make sure no one really knows how her work works, uh, but we get how she touches a target, says its name, and assigns a rule of choice. And, But I've learned quite a bit from a battle so far. A living physical being uh, can only go so far, so she's given herself super strength, but it's only so much. Otherwise, he would have been killed from her attack. But there's no limit on how much a rule can incapacitate someone. So if she had said his name correctly, instead of him being in his weird, like, Kind of a three-in-one situation here—an anti-trinity, as it was. Uh, would would have been able to kill him outright. And oh gosh, all this text, all oh, this text. Yeah, so he he goes over the idea I just said of how, you know, if she had she had said his name, so figuring like that's how it would will, will work. And he gets all excited, says, what's gotten into me all of a sudden? The irresistible urge to test out a rules. I've never been so on edge. And Star and Stripe says, uh, thinking to herself, says, he must have a way to get around attacks that hamper his breathing. Like giving the wrong rule from this. And one of the pilots says, what now, Star? New order and concentrated laser fire did just about nothing to that regenerating scumbag. And she says, send word to Commander Agpar. Oh, Horikoshi, you and Star Wars, man. I'm right there with you. At the pilot says, For real? Bad enough we ran off half cock without their say so. You're not really thinking that we ought to... If not now, then when should I exercise my special authority? This punks graduated from being Japan's local menace. Now he's a threat to the world. We gotta use tactics that Japan lacks to make him dead now. Just trying to give me a place to plant my feet until arrival, okay, bros? They say, Ah hell. <laughs> and we get a flashback with her the pilots. Uh, as she was a little younger in this picture, and she doesn't have all of her tufts. She says, Starting today, you boys are under my wing. When we die, we die together, brothers. <laughs> you see this weird relationship they have with each other? It's like, oh, they kind of like cling on in that way. Like, today is a good day to die. Our number one sure does ask the world of us, Hey, Wedge, shake that raggedy low life off your top side. That star is perch. Copy that. And he flips around in the air, forcing Shigaraki off. And Sauron looks at him as he's falling down and says, I told you that knowing what I'm about wouldn't help you fight back. This is what I meant. The air forms into my shape, but a thousand times bigger. This bump to the earth. And Shigaraki looks up and says, nothing's visible there, but I got a nasty feeling. And she moves herself back. So like we are seeing what he cannot, that this, this gigantic ethereal star and stripe in the sky that just smashes the heck out of him he says taking any more damage is pointless and he'd never answer if i asked for his real name so the only way to get rid of this guy and she smacks her get hands together kind of like a hulk clap as this body is torn to red it looks like the nomu may have died in this because it only looks like there's one left, Is and she continues, says, is busting him down to atoms as the clouds are separated above the sea. But you're a tough nut to crack. Rose, give me a taste of those lasers. And she makes a new rule, says, the lasers combine into one. United Hypermax output laser. Keranos, which is, if I remember correctly, in Greek, Thunderbolt. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Thunderbolt, and this giant beam of the lasers together is used by this incredibly large figure she's made, and continually just pounds into him over and over again. A nonstop blast of the max laser. He'll burn away to nothing. Yeah, she says. I doubt it. This is just keeping him pinned down. If this were enough, then Endeavor could have finished the job, which is an excellent point because Endeavor definitely has the ability if he concentrated it to. Kind of like prevent him from perfect selling his way out of this. And she gets uh, a message. says, Star. She says, Agpar, sir. It says, I'm so accustomed to your independent ways that I got careless. This stunt will lose you more than just your license. She says, fine, by me. Well, are things ready on your end yet? It says, sure, a special favor, just as once. And Japan's been informed that the strike is imminent. That's what I wanted to hear. And we see Agbar, and it's it's so obvious. It's it's Admiral Akbar. <laughs> Horikoshi's got a Horikoshi. And he says, the fact is your flagrant defiance from the rules really has made our nation shine all the brighter. USA, baby, all the way. You know, who cares about rules? America's the way. <laughs> he says, All Might himself couldn't put in the proper end to this villain. Prepare to surpass him, Cassius. in the background, we see a picture of her being saved by All Might while he was in America. you know, they're both kind of giving, you know both their fingers up in celebration. He says, their name is Tiamat. Make sure every last one hits the mark. And we get a final panel of a bunch of intercontinental, uh, intercontinent, intercontinental cruise missiles called Tiamat after the uh, Babylonian. Sumerian, Sumerian uh, goddess? Yes I should know this from all the D&D I've had to do uh, as they're about to head towards there to take out Shigaraki probably through some creative use of Star and Stripes power so that's the end of the chapter uh, this is lasting a lot longer than I thought it would and I don't think the fight is over just yet I'm not expecting the next chapter to be done with the fight, maybe we see the end result of this is maybe she hits her target, but obviously Shikaraki is not going down yet. So what I'm guessing is they hit him, they managed to like make him regenerate for a while, but he's going to find a way out of it. I'm guessing at some point he's going to touch her. But my guess is if he does that, excuse me, she's going to use New Order. To make a new rule that says, you know, if my quirk is taken, like, it could be like, maybe the person who takes it loses access to a lot of their quirks, or maybe their quirks are uh, less powerful, or uh, maybe my quirk no longer works, or something that makes this a Pyrrhic victory for Shigiraki. It's like, so maybe he steals the quirk, but it's not effective anymore. Which would be a nice balance of, you know, we've introduced this cool female character. So she doesn't job completely. I I'm kind of liking that the more I say it out loud. Cause she's not gonna win, obviously. She's not Deku. He's gonna be the one who has to fight Shigaraki. And people are saying if he gets to if Shigaraki gets her quirk, like how is Deku supposed to win? I, I don't really see a way outside of a talk no jutsu unless like the second's quirk. That Deku hasn't unlocked yet is like that amazing, but I doubt it. Especially with the Quirk Singularity being like, you know, the older Quirks were, the less impressive they were. So that's my hero. Uh, definitely a, a really fun chapter. Oh boy. And we go from that to One Piece, which I should stop saying prophetic things about how it's been a while since there's been a bad One Piece chapter. And I wouldn't qualify this as the worst I've ever read. But dang, I'm i am I'm not feeling this one either. And I'm not the only one. By far. I saw a lot of people hating on this. I don't hate this chapter by any means. But there's some issues with it. Uh, so we'll start off. In the chapter we see uh, Drake and Apu uh, they're both kind of discussing a possible alliance in this area. I'm not going to cover too much on this about like uh, who's going to take over uh, after whoever wins like they're going to like uh, whoever side wins this battle. They're just going to like steal from whoever wins since they're in a weakened state. Uh, so I mean it's I must said that word that dreaded I word. <laughs> so, So it's that but I, I'm not 100 percent how I feel on that. Now on to one of the worst parts of this chapter. Which is a shame because it's like two of my favorite straw hats, Nami and Usopp. And they notice there's something like, oh, that's a freakish monster. And they see this. Oh my gosh. A pair of legs with sandals on, half of a body. It's a leg monster, it's all legs. And they go, wait, what are you doing here? And Usopp goes to grab. The legs says, "I know it's you, kinemon and uh, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of scatological humor. I've never been big, you know, a- into fart jokes or you know, poop jokes, what have you. Like the only person who's consistently made me laugh, I actually mentioned his work earlier, is Purple W2F from his. Code Mint and None Piece series which is quite appropriate now that we're covering this but it's just not for me and I know a lot of people like it so like, laugh at what you want to laugh at but this is just not fine to me because the reason I'm saying this is because Kinemon from before he's able to speak in this form through farting so there's that just moving past it. Uh, he's going to borrow the, the giraffe to get away. Because his goal is to get someone to heal his teammates after the fight with Conjuro. And we flash over to him, lying down. Just hold on a bit longer, Kiku. I have found some of our allies. It is hard to believe that I still live with my torso severed. After Law cut me in two, perhaps I was never attached properly again. It's a miracle if I can use this to save Kiku's life, if nothing else. And real quick before I go forward. This is one of the issues I also had with this. Like, you're telling me he didn't law it and stitch him back together correctly the last time this happened? Was it 200, 300 chapters ago? I, I'm not buying it. This is kind of really convenient, which is very rare for Oda. Um, I'm I, I'm not feeling high on this one. And... Uh, and that sucks, because I love One Piece so much. So, I, I, I hope you're hearing the pain in my voice as I'm saying this. As uh, Kinemon, continuing on, hears Orochi's voice calling out to Kanjuro, who is still alive, and he says, Yes, Lord Orochi. You sound like you're on death's doors, Kanjuro. says, Indeed, the curtains are closing. Well, you've done admirably, it was a splendid act. Your praise means everything to me, my lord. Can you hear the audience? How they cheer for you? There's a bunch of people cheering on in the background uh, to the means that Orochi is using to talk to him. Is this for me? Excuse me. That's right, but alas, how galling, how vexing. Our ancestors await a proper theatrical encore, and you must give it to them, Conjuro. Depict the burning hatred of the Kurozumi clan. Who is the true victor? The enduring anger of the Kurozumis prowls the halls of this castle. Heading deeper and deeper into the depths until at the very bottom of it all you reach our burial crypt. Only you can lay our souls to rest, Conjuro. As you wish. I shall perform my final dance. The glorious death of the Korozumi clan. Kazimbo. As he's able to draw a giant fiery shadow figure. It starts like destroying anyone it consumes. Uh, on the second floor of the castle. And it's continually gliding through it. Causing it to erupt in flames. And we see uh, Brooke and Robin trying to run away. Uh, Marco is there. Is also attempting to run away. Uh, we see Luffy. It's been a while since we've seen Luffy. And Zoro. It says, Allies of Kazuki, Emperors of the Sea, all who put on airs will be brought low. I think that's Kaido saying it. As uh, Yamato, she attempts to uh, run away to the armory, uh, onto the castle <clears throat> of the castle basement. Uh, that way, she can potentially stop the island's descent. So Momonosuke has more uh, time to take down Kaido. Uh, but in the midst of this, Big Mom, <laughs> Big Mom is still attacking. <clears throat> uh, sorry, lost her names for a second with you know all the. Five billion people in the middle of this fight. Law and Kid, thank you, Pastor Christian, for your notes, helping me out, bro. Uh, law and Kid are continuing to fight her, uh, but they're definitely going down real quick. And they're like whispering to one another. It's like ah, I'm on my last legs, but the same is true for me. We're not, but we're not getting anywhere like this. Use your last resort to back me up. Hmm. And here's the other thing I didn't like about this chapter, but we're moving on. Uh, they cause Mama, uh, Big Mom, to bleed uh, through clever, port, uh, clever usage of the magnetism that they have at their disposal, turning hers, her herself, into a magnet, and causes her to collect like a bunch of metal around her, uh, seemingly collapsing a large part of the castle as well. And a bunch of soldiers are being taken out by this, and. It is a final move here. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with this. So what we're supposed to find out here is that their devil fruits have awakened. Now, awakening is something I believe that was first brought up in the Impel Down arc. Impel Down? With those uh, those, giant animal people things. And it happened uh, in uh, Dressrosa as well. But my big issue with this is that we haven't seen either one of them train for this. It seems like it's just kinda happen happening right now because Oda's written himself into a corner, maybe. Which once again, I want to trust that maybe next chapter, or if he moves on to like the other 50 people that are fighting, we'll get here, you know, 20 chapters from now. (laughs) One piece is ending in five years, guys. I don't believe that for a second. But I want to believe that there, there's going to be a flashback and says, look, like you know, as we left towards Wano, this is what happened. Uh, we had time. We figured out the way to awaken our devil fruits. I want to believe, but like there was so little time for that to have happened. I don't know if it can be done in, believable, in a believable fashion. Like I don't want to be all negative Nancy here. Uh, and I want I want to put my trust and faith in him, <laughs> but this chapter really irked me, which is so weird because I can't remember the last time I felt this way in one piece. So I, I'm just going to move on before I just start bringing everyone else down into the dumps. You guys don't don't deserve that. Moving on to Spy Family Mission Fifty Five. As we go back to York, on top of the cruise ship, and looking down at her needle, she says, I don't get it. How did my weapon end up landing in a place like this? In a place like that? Did someone, and she looks around, and Anya on the bottom uh, deck, it's like, ah, she'll see me. She runs away, and Yor looks confused again, and says, I guess the wind must have blown her here somehow. <laughs> she goes to help uh, director McMahon. And Lloyd has realized that that bomb was only a feint. There's probably more out there. And Anya is running back, saying, "No, if I don't get back to the play area fast, that lady's going to be so mad. As she runs by one of the assassins, who is very upset, and he recognizes it beside inside of the clock near the center of the ship, if I'm remembering correct, correctly, uh, he notices the smell of explosives inside of it. He says, yeah, I better get out of here. <laughs> and Anya thinking to herself says there's icky explosives in that clock there's more bombs besides the one Papa was looking for (laughs) and uh, the assassin notices uh, the guy who was running all surveillance is about to run out of the ship so he goes after him and Anya uh, thinking to herself says this is bad I gotta tell Papa but now I don't even know where he is and I can't tell him anyway because it'd blow my secret and one of the members of the crew is looking out for uh, more bombs (laughs) And Anya has dressed herself up to, like, appear older than she is, like, thinking in her own mind. She probably thinks she looks like a grown woman in this getup with these sunglasses on. He says, excuse me, sir. Uh, Can you? He says, can I help you, young lady? She says, "Uh, I just saw a strange man wipe a booger on that clock over there. It was super gross. Clean it up for me, please. He says, a booger. I'm sorry, miss, but I have important things to. He says, no, wait, hmm. a man behaving suspiciously at a time like this is probably not connected, but just to be safe. You know what? I'll go take a look right now. As uh, the, the assassin and the radio coordinator are both leaving on one of the lifeboats or a raft. I think it's a raft, not a lifeboat. Discussing like, look, uh, this isn't going well, and they're about to kill one another, so we move away to that. And Lloyd is told about the bomb. So he goes after it there, and he finds it inside that clock. He says, planting this bomb in such a crowded part of the ship. Maybe their goal is not sinking the ship after all. He realizes they don't have time to deal with this. So he uh, takes the clock off from its hinges. Excuse me, from its hinges. I am not a uh, physical maintenance person, as you may very well have guessed. So he unscrews it, maybe. Who knows? I think that, yep, screwdriver. There we go. Unscrews it. I'm a genius. He says, I'm going to throw it into the sea. Th- say what? As the assassin and the radio operator are fighting once more. And one of the, uh, members of the ship is saying, please stop. That clock's a priceless antique. He said, No. As, uh, Lloyd hurls it from the top of the deck into the sea, right on top of the two guys. And it explodes right above them. Uh, dealing them way less damage than it should. So seemingly they are dead from this, but we shall see. And Lloyd says, ah, that was a close one. And he orders the guy like, look, announce something every intercom to calm everyone down. And Anya looking very excited says, all right, the bomb was stopped. Thanks to me. Anya and I went way too, way too close in that regard. It's uncanny. Uh, taking credit for things that is not our doing. Uh, actually, she's a little better than me in this guard. It's actually kind of way better for her. She actually did something in her life. And the lady in charge of the nursery uh, comes in right behind her and says, there you are, naughty girl. Don't you run off like that. And Anya's excuse is, I, I needed to poo real bad. Uh, she says, well, then you should have said so. You're coming back with me. Anya says, but that might not have been the last bomb. What you need to make another boom boom than potty then fine let's go, and, and that's okay for toilet humor, is that yeah a lot better than we got in One Piece this week. Uh, shut up, Christian. Shut up. Focus on the positives. Oh, you f- flash over to your says I think I just heard a bomb go off, and the director says we can't rule out the possibility of other killers. Be ready for everything. Be ready for anything. And they're letting uh the people she was supposed to protect in this instance. Uh, get onto a raft so that they'll be leaving. He says, I'll be praying for you and your family to find peace and happiness. And they manage to get away from the ship, but the director is noticing Yor's expression. He says, we must remain vigilant. Because earlier, Yor was hugged and thanked for everything, even though she's covered with blood. And the little boy hugs her as well. And he says, those hands of yours that are bloody are the reason this child has a future. And <clears throat> the director says, I know this might not be possible for you, and maybe I should just mind my own business, but I want you to know, stop getting sentimental and remember who you are. You and I are simple foot soldiers, nothing more. Yours says, "Oh, I- I'm sorry, sir. And he pauses. Definitely, I-, I know he's feeling conflicted, too, about her situation. And he says, oh, that reminds me. I forgot to relay a message to you. The forgers have apparently requested that you meet them at tomorrow's point of call. She says, Lord and Anya want to meet? Oh, but uh, he says, I will be on the lookout for any f- other killers. Go and do as the forgers ask. Consider it a reward for completing your mission. Says, I get, get some ice on your face so they don't notice any swelling. Oh, and make sure they don't see that wound on your chest. She says, They, uh, they won't. I'm not meeting them in a swimsuit. Lloyd, like, uh, thinking to himself, says, I think we managed to just secure the ship for now. I should be able to leave the rest of those SSS agents. And he goes to the kids' room, says, I'm sorry that it took me so long to get back, and Anya has completely wiped out from the evening's events. And uh, the nanny there says, I guess she couldn't hold out any longer. And he thinks, I may have had a crisis to resolve, but I still ended up abandoning my family again. Wait, what are you saying, Twilight? Your family is also part of your mission, remember? Or, since taking vacation is my mission, does that mean not having a mission is... huh? And I see it in the chapter. This is... I know some people have been saying this arc has been going on a little too long. I kind of understand. But I think it's super important for what's going to be happening later on in the series. That you've got your and Lloyd, independently of each other, both finding reasons to remain in this family. Even though they're both using it, obviously, she's using it to look a little more normal. Uh, He's using it so that uh, it looks like he has a stable life at home. So Anya can infiltrate the, uh, the school to get close to, uh, what's his name? Crazy guy. So they can figure out if he's doing anything. But uh, like I said, it's, very, it's super important for them both to have this realization. So they're questioning, like, well, uh, is there a reason I'm still doing this? Like, your earlier had recognized, like, I don't even need to be killing people anymore because my brother's doing fine now. That's why I started doing this in the first place. And Lloyd has always been, you know, the consummate professional. Like, I'm just going to keep doing this over and over. But those, start, those paternal feelings are coming out in the both of them. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Now to our Manwa section, which just so happens, even though I'm doing things in alphabetical order, it puts them at the end because it's Solo Leveling and Tower of God. We go to solo leveling. Uh, actually, no. Yeah. Wait, no. Oh, I should have done solo leveling first. I'm out of order. Oh, well. O before P. I know my ABCs. MNOP. Yep. Well, well done, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just wow. Uh, so we are on chapter 172 of solo leveling. Uh, previously, the world's being invaded. Uh, by the other monarchs who are trying to uh, cause the world to change into a state that's better for them and their development. Uh, Sung Jin Woo, I, I've debated on how to refer to him because obviously, Koreans like uh, the Japanese, you switch the names around where your last name is first and your first name is last. So uh, I should be calling him Jinwoo. Maybe. But people just call him Sung Jinwoo. Definitely on the subreddit. So, yeah. Who knows. So we get the monarchs like, uh, discussing what they're going to be doing. They're wondering why the Shadow Monarch is acting the way he is right now. Because uh, his plan right now has so far been kill as many of them as possible. That way I can keep adding soldiers to my army. We get a news report uh, discussing... That the United States government has dispatched the military quickly in order to buy time for the civilians to evacuate, and oh gosh, what is this guy's name? I forgot to look it up. He, He succeeded after the old director died, and he's just he's thinking to himself about how even the United States Army is losing to these creatures, and it's like there's there's almost no hope. Like the only thing humanity can do now is to pray for a miracle, but just what kind of miracle can stop them? he says out loud a miracle. Dear Lord, please do not abandon us. Which, before we continue on, from what I understand, um, I got into solo leveling around chapter... That would have been early in the 100s. So yeah, uh, however long that was. And one of the things I learned is that the light novel it's based off of is way more anti-any nation that isn't South Korea. (laughs) In a way, it just makes everyone else look like chumps. And they're all terrible people for not being Korean. (laughs) And uh, a lot of people have called it racist. So I haven't read the light novel. So I couldn't tell you for sure if that's true or not. But from what little I have looked into, it's like, oh gosh, they just made us all look like complete jobbers and worthless. And the only person who matters is Sung Jin Woo. <laughs> so, uh, just a quick aside there. It seems from what I understand, like the, the webcomic is handling it a, a little better. In a more nuanced fashion. But we're still getting wrecked. But it's le- at least not as bad, from, like... I said, from what I understand, of how it was in the original light novel. So quick aside there, done. We get some narration. Hundreds of new soldiers, uh, shadow soldiers have joined the army. It's like a huge tsunami engulfing everything. We see some more of the, the dragons and orcs and other various creatures uh, attacking uh, the armies of the other monarchs over and over again. We get some, one of the really great things about solo leveling is the art. Like, it never fails to impress. Uh, I forget who actually draws the series. I should have put that down on my list, but I did not. That's for future Christian to take care of. That guy. Uh, uh, Sung Jing Woo is looking up at the sky. It's like his plan, which is a really good plan, especially with his ability to use necromancy to raise up people who've fallen. It's like the perfect strategy of, well, as, as long as I keep killing more of your guys and raising them up, My army is just going to keep growing. he looks up once more at the other armies and says, Did the army of doom start moving? Since I can't sense the dragon king, I don't think they're planning on making a move just yet. There's nothing to be disappointed about since there's a lot of time left. If he's hesitating to make a move, I just need to provide a reason for him to do so. And he uses that classic phrase, Arise. As he adds more and more of these creatures into his army and they are wreaking havoc. And one of the dragons in the opposing army says, you dare try to oppose the great dragon king with p- mere puppets made of mana? As someone who serves the dragon king, I will destroy you. And Yu Wu, on top of one of his own dragons, says, you talk too much. <laughs> and attacks the dragon directly as we move over <clears throat> to one of the other monarchs uh, discussing the ambush that's going on. And how they're going to take him down as he's distracted. As we move over to, uh, I believe these are United States troops. Yes. Uh, And they're failing completely to destroy them. You can at least stop them from moving by shooting them in the legs or arms. We need to wait for the hunters backup. And before all of them are destroyed, we get Thomas Andre coming back. He says, I've seen all of them in dungeons before. And I say, oh, it's the Scavengers Guild. Coming to save them. And Thomas says there were a lot of them. But they weren't all that tough. Although. And he gets a little. uh, He stops for a moment recognizing one of the monarchs has appeared. Who says, I am the king of the monstrous humanoids. The monarch of steel body. Surely you must have realized that I could take your life in a blink of an eye. Yet you still plan on getting in my way? Thomas says, is that so? I'm not very fond of confusing things as his shadow erupts behind him. As Sung Jin Wu, uh, in previous chapters, having put some of the soldiers in his shadow, which is one of his really cool abilities. Uh, it's been a while. Monarch of steel body as yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, as he announces his presence to the other, sh- the other monarch there who says, why is the shadow army here? They must've been hiding within that human shadow while hiding their presence. He got me. I must notify the Dragon King, but before he can do that uh, telepathically, I'm assuming here, he says why I can't reach him. Don't tell me he looks up. Seems like they are jamming his ability to communicate. He says this strategy couldn't have been thought up by the Shadow Soldiers of the Shadow Monarch. It doesn't correspond to the way the Shadow Army does things, which is to sentence the enemies in front of them to death. And gets angry. He says this. This is the way of the humans. He is not qualified to be a monarch. Take back what you just said. Beru says, looking extremely awesome in this panel. It is a heavy sin to insult my king. As they clash with each other. Ah, yes. This is exactly what we need right here. The two of them and Sungjin at the end is facing off with the uh, monarch with red hair, whose name escapes me at the moment. So I'm really, I'm really bad with manga names. As we've noticed, but the manga names, oh gosh. I I need to uh, have spent more time writing them down. So I failed to do that. That's on me. And as we get into Tower of God, I'm going to need some help with that one too. Because that is a doozy because we are on chapter 508 of Tower of God. And uh, I know that there are more chapters out, but this is the one that's been publicly released. So I'm going to be following them more, uh, because that's more like what the subreddit is following at the moment. So I'll be following with them. uh, Because I don't have the money to make an account to get up to date. And Coon previously was attacked by, I believe his name is Mouse. But unfortunately for Mouse, it was not actually him. He had used several lighthouses to make additional ones, to confuse them. And he says, what happened? Could it be him? He was never inside those headlights? We get narration somewhere else inside the cat tower. And Kuhn has left one of the other lighthouses, says, glad I left the lighthouses bait everywhere else early on. I intentionally hid my lighthouse and increased its withdrawal speed, but I can't believe I was found so fast. I don't know who it is, but it's likely that it's an enemy capable of hearing the sounds that the lighthouses make in order to find them. Although I have installed traps with a sound similar to that produced by lighthouses in several places, an enemy of the caliber of a division commander will find out very soon. It won't take him long to find me. And Mouse continues to look for him. And Kuhn in narration says once more, I can hear the same sound from lighthouses in several places at the same time. same time." Deactivate a wave trap? And Mouse says, I'm going to kill you. But it seems that I need to change my plan. And we, before we go to flashing over, Kuhn is my favorite character in this series. I love the way he strategizes. I love how smug he is. Uh, how, how dare I like someone like that? Not, that's totally not me at all. And I, I just love the way he's constantly calculating. Like that's a classic Kuna move—is to like make you think he's somewhere when he's actually somewhere else. I, I, this is exactly what I need from this series because I won't lie this, this arc has been dragging for a bit and we get to the next part of this dragging arc with White facing Bomb after he has somehow come back to life and White is saying in narration bring the dead back to life I wonder what kind of magic he used but it's probably not one of the, at the level of breaking the limits between life and death Perhaps in that brief moment, before the soul was completely absorbed by his majesty, the woman's body was stitched back to his original state. That being Arya, who had um, allied with Bomb so that she wouldn't die. And, <clears throat> and the soul returned to, help her, to her body. Of course, even if his majesty's assumption is correct, it doesn't make sense that he was able to pull it off. However... The main fact that made that nonsense possible is probably the power that is outside the laws of that woman's tower. That she should have delayed the recognition of his death so that the soul should, could settle back into her body after it has been sown. I don't know if it was the intention of any of them or a simple coincidence, but either way, both of them have accomplished a totally ridiculous miracle. So in the previous chapter, what had happened is that Whitehead killed both Arya and Bomb at the same time. However... Which I had wondering, like, how are they gonna get out of this one and make it believable that mom comes back to life? Is that she had used her ability to save him while he had used his ability, one of his abilities to save her. If I'm remembering this correctly, in a weird kind of twist of fate, like uh, that would be classic mom, like looking after another person rather than myself. And I don't know Arya that well, she's a, a fairly new character, but from the little time she spent with mom, She seems to have enjoyed his company. So that's a cool move on her part. So it's not as much of a a plot hole as people have been complaining about it that I have seen. People are never satisfied. Uh, White says, right now you look like you are a messiah who can make miracles come true. But it's not like that. That is not your true nature. And the two of them face off with each other. Uh, some epic panels here. Like, uh, poor... Is it S-I-U? Is the author uh, author and artist's name. Uh, he's been suffering from a lot of uh, personal issues. And it, it's very upsetting. Because, especially with the way artists are treated. Uh, I'm sure the same things that happen in Japan are happening in Korea. It's just like, just give the guy some time to rest, because Tower of God went on break for a long time. Uh, Several months worth. And I just hope that he got the rest he needs, because it seems like his, I think it was his wrist that was messing with him, if I remember correctly. So he got the rest and relaxation he needed. So we get a ton of great art, great panels, with the two of them facing off against each other. And White has noticed that Bomb is using some black Shinsu. Now, Shinsu is basically the uh, the key or uh, Nin, of this series. Leave it has something to do with flowing water. It says, you're going to drop everything you have so I can't dodge them. What fun! As I continue fighting back and forth. Oh, yes. Uh, White using his sword. Bomb using his special abilities. His Shinsu. It uh, um, says, I can't cut that Shinsu, but... I can change its trajectory with the pressure of the sword. Like, Let's see who forward, runs out of power his attack first. attack is blocked by bomb. And the two of them get even closer together in this fight, brawling back and forth. Ah, yes. I mean, just, I, it's, I sound like a terrible sports commentator talking about this scene. It's just like, I, I'm watching this, as if it was happening in live action, it's like, oh, oh, he did that, oh, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, oh, and he moved this, and he did that, uh, uh, uh. that's basically what's happening right now, and that's why I will never be able to commentate for a football game or a basketball game because <laughs> I just can't focus. Like, oh, oh he's doing what? Oh, he, he passed the ball. He did this, uh, uh, uh. and there's this huge black orb behind Bomb as his blue wings like spread even further out as White as just staring him down, and Bomb has gained these two black horns as well as black Shinsu warp, warps around his body. And the last words are from white are a black orb. So, wow. Um, Tower of God. Like I said, I, I've been following Tower of God for years. It has been one of those consistently engaging series. I, I need, I need a, a chalkboard be like, okay, this character here is doing this, thank God there were only like five characters in this in this ch- chapter. Because <laughs> otherwise I'd be completely lost. But yeah, that is the end of our manga and manhwa <clears throat> discussion. And the end of the podcast, because once again there are no Marvel series for us to cover this week. So, a little housekeeping here. Uh, I have started the Twitter for this uh, it's, uh Exactly the name of the show, Starving Writers Guild, manga, anime, and, excuse me, anime, manga, and comics podcast. I have put two tweets out because I'm really good at the Twitters. <laughs> you can follow us there. Uh, you can follow the Starving Writers Guild as well on Twitter. Uh, I would be experimenting a bit. I, I'm still trying to get this podcast onto Spotify as well uh, and any other podcast servers. Except I I'm figuring things out, uh, discovering what to do. I'm just extremely. Happy that I got this on Apple. Uh, Which, speaking of, uh, as you can do, if you would like, uh, leave us a five-star review uh, so we can keep the process going. Uh, I won't lie. I had a a lot of fun looking at the analytics for this series. It's like, wow. Uh, In just a short amount of time, I reached over 20 people that's amazing to me, that unique listeners. Like, I mean, that's such a low number. But at the end of the day, I expected maybe 10 people at most. And that's double what I was expecting. So, yeah. Uh, continuing, like I said before, this is a lot of fun. I, I hope you're enjoying this as well. Like, if you guys have any criticisms you'd like to add, like, please feel free to contact us. Uh, like, I said, uh, Eventually, John and I... I keep promising this. We'll be discussing anime later on uh, when he's able to do so. Uh, join us at the starvingwritersguild.com where our books are and where we can hopefully help you with editing if you need that. And I, I believe that's it for tonight. So until next time, see ya.